Table Talk with Grace Redmond features conversations with fierce and fabulous people from Grace's community and circle who inspire others with their stories of overcoming challenges to create amazing. Grace is an entrepreneur and success coach who works with individuals to diminish their negative mental chatter, boost their confidence, achieve their goals, and increase their prosperity mindset. Get ready for a series of Anything Goes Conversations with remarkable men and women that will get you jazzed for life's unlimited possibilities of success, freedom, and fun. Welcome to Real Talk with Grace Redman. I'm Grace Redman, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Real Talk, where I get to have real life, raw conversations with incredible people from my circles and communities who have overcome challenges and created amazing. Today, my dynamic guest is Mahdi Asmadian. Mahdi is a computer scientist specialized in virtual reality and human computer interaction. Working as a software engineer at PlayStation, he enjoys a nice blend of serious technical design thinking and playful, wacky, fun game mechanics. Beyond exploring the realm of play, he dabbles in finding joy in living a simple life and developing the life philosophies that enable it. And help me welcome Mahdi to the show today. Hey, <laughs> thanks oh. for having me. Wow, it's great to yeah. be here. No, I, I, I'm so grateful that you're here because you just have such an incredible energy <laughs> and it's contagious and what a great way to, you know, start a Wednesday afternoon. So thanks for joining me. Absolutely. It just res the energy resonates with you. And I think it's, it's great to be in your presence and have an opportunity to be here today. I'm oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. So this is going to be fun because you're, you're definitely fun. That's for sure. <laughs> and, and it's, there's so many, you know, awesome things, you know, I want to, I want to touch on with you and um, kind of want to start, you know, you know how to have fun. That's for sure. Yeah. And, <laughs> So, and, and your energy is lively and you're constantly, you know, looking to like, I, I've, I've never seen you not smiling and positive. Yeah. And I know, again, we all go through it, but tell me a little bit about where, where that, like, how did you embrace the energy to, you know, I, again, I know we're not positive all the time, Yeah. but you kind of, you, you, it, exude that energy so can you tell me a little bit about that like where does that come from i if i'm very frank i think the, the most credit really goes to my father because i think from a young age he, he was raised really religious with very religious values and he was muslim specifically and as cur is currently also but i think there was a lot of certain somber serious values that were instilled in him i think that's what the path that he lived before but eventually he decided to move to the United States and go to and learn more about just different ways of living and different perspectives on life. And I think he, he got exposed to a lot of different motivational speakers. And mm -hmm. through that, I think he learned a lot more about just changing your mindset and, and paradigm shift, if you will. And that I think led him to just see the world differently. And when he had us, like I think as his kids, it, he just naturally brought us into that world. And I remember every morning when we would get a ride to school, we'd be listening to like maybe Anthony Robbins, maybe Jim Rohn, maybe Ryan Tracy, sometimes um, Wayne Dyer. And that's kind of what just our morning commute looked like. And even if I was a kid, just like not paying attention and we didn't have phones back then for me to be distracted, at least like, even if I was looking around, eventually I'd hear some oh, nuggets yeah. of information. And I think he would really 
he was a morning person. And so he would just like come up with like this energy of a good morning. Are you ready to, ready to take on the day? And like, this is the, the day you're ready for the day of judgment. Like he'd say weird, funny things like that. And we're like, oh, okay, dad, whatever. And so I think having that energy and like seeing someone be full of energy in the morning, I think was a way to jumpstart the mm. day and just make you think that this is how you should be. And I think we, we start our lives with idolizing our, our, our parents and, Sooner or later, we realize they're just human. But in those early years, we just think that this is how it should be. And we just really want to mimic their behavior. And I think it was something that I think I picked up naturally from my father. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as you go around life, you just realize that, well, smiling always makes things better. If not, at least if, if it doesn't do anything, at least at, at least it'll, it'll either make things better or not do anything at all. And you'd rather be in a situation where you have something to brighten your day and other people's also. No, I, to I totally agree. And I, and I love that because you use the old timers like Tony Robbins, Jim Rome, Wayne Dyer. Yeah. And um, I, same thing, like I, in my teens started listening to, to all of the old timers. I started with Tony Robbins. So mm -hmm. my house was like that where my kids were like, <laughs> what the, what are you listening to? This is stupid. And but I, I let, let it play on the TV, on the radio, wherever, you know, or, you know, on the CDs, wherever I was. And you're right, because now I don't even have to tell my kids like their daily part of their daily routine is listening to Tony Robbins or Grant Cardone or any, yeah. you know, they have there's motivational speakers that um, kind of speak to them. Mm -hmm. And it, it does. Our, our, my, our environment really does. Um, we are a product of our environment. You know, it, it could well, it could go both ways, right? This way, this way. <laughs> that's right. Um, but 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 you're right, and not everything is unicorn and roses. But what a way, you know, to start the day with your dad setting that tone, and then you kind of emulating that. Absolutely. And yeah. and something you talk about is routine, and something you you know you're proud of. You've mentioned you're proud of is constantly refining your routines. That's right. So can you speak on that? Like, what does that sure. mean? Yeah, I think I think the way I think about it is that as as you know, as you go about life, you realize like, hey, I prioritize this specific thing. Like, like when I think about my current routine, it's like, oh, I remember a long time ago learning about something called a neti pot, and like, mm. and it's like, what is this? Like, okay, cool, let me try it. Interesting, and I tried a few times. Like, hey, this is it seems to actually like clear up my breathing, and I sometimes have like breathing problems. So I realized like, hey, if I do this, uh, this will be like this will be actually good to have in my routine. And so, um, it's I think if you if you wake up every morning and and try to review like, okay. What are all the things that I think about? Like, well, I want to definitely want to brush my. You like you check like I guess I want to brush my teeth. Mm -hmm. I guess I also like want to do this. There's so much effort that goes into like the, like the decision making every morning. You're like, oh, I have to do this, 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 and that. And it's like if you want to come up with that list every single morning, so much of your cognitive energy, if you will, really gets spent. Mm. And it, there's so much overhead that gets added if you want to constantly keep track of all these different things. And I think. With experimentation, I think I found that like, all right, if you just have certain like lists of routines that you do and like, and if you've, I think the book of, um, I think there's a book called The Power of Habit. I'm trying to remember. If, what, what oh, yes. Called, I think. I've listened to a little bit of it. I yeah. Of the gentleman. I love that. I loved what I listened to. That's right. And I think that mindset of just creating these habits has been really helpful. And there's a lot of techniques for how to create and, and, and ingrain these habits in you. But I think just doing that makes me now not worry about all these different things. Because sometimes I feel like I have these like personal goals I want to reach. 
And I have to like think like, oh gosh, did I work on that today? And I have to go reflect on like, man, am I making progress on that? Oh, I forgot to do this. Mm -hmm. But when you have, when you have all these routines set up and all these, you make sure you're making minimal progress every day towards those things you think about, you can just kind of, you're just on this journey and you just tap, take steps forward and the results will come. You don't have to always worry about, gosh, am I doing that thing? Will I ever like make progress on that front? So I think what the way I go about my life is I think to myself, hey, here's the thing that I think about. Here's the thing, here's the thing that I care about. Now, what like let's say people think about like fitness or exercise, right? And a lot of people might say, you know what, tomorrow I'm gonna start going for like a 20 minute run. I'm gonna do this, do this, do that, do that. I think for me, I started with like thinking, if I want to make something part of my habits and life, it has to be extremely easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like so. I really remember starting off when I was, I think, like maybe 13, 14, I don't know when it was, but I said, hey, I want to start running. Mm-hmm. And I remember starting with one minute. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then it, turned, yeah, then it turned into like a four-minute routine, right? And just very, very slowly, when I really felt like this is effortless to me, I started ramping it up. Mm-hmm. And it takes time to do that. And But I think the key to making a habit really work and sick is, is to, for it to be pretty much effortless and effortless when you haven't really trained that muscle of whatever this new thing is that you want to incorporate in your life it has to be very very minimal it has to be very very small that's like oh yeah i can do that that's easy then over time slowly you can build it more and more but anytime someone wants to propose something a big change i want to make in life i'm like no no no. it has to be effortless because i I know Mm -hmm. i know i agree yeah because white knuckling and trying to use your willpower every day just is not sustainable. You're right. It's not sustainable. And I I love what you mentioned, you know, little, little, um, you know, little steps every day, because I believe in that book, he talks about, it just takes 1%, 1% each step, because then you'll have the compound effect. Cause you're right. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm going to, you know, if if you've never um, ran and then you're going to say, I'm going to go run half an hour, forget it. It's, it's not going to work. But I love how you said, even if you start with a minute and then it becomes effortless, like brushing your teeth, you don't even think about it. It's a habit. So I hear, so what I hear you saying is start very small and, you know, creating new habits and starting small and taking the time, those habits will just become part of the routine. You don't even think about it. Is that what you mean by having it be effortless? Yeah. I mean, I think when you want to alter your routine slowly, I think those alterations have to be very minimal and easy to execute. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. Like just, yeah. And I think ultimately you end eventually over time, if you slowly incorporate these things, you realize you're, you are hitting all these many, many multitude of goals that you're interested in, mm-hmm. slowly making progress on them and really not needing to think about them every day anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that. And and that's what the journey is about. It's the compound effect. It's those little small decisions that we make every day. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're going to fall off. But it's, it's it, it doesn't just come, you know, when you see people that are successful, their success did not come overnight. Absolutely. I mean, it was, you know, accumulation of small decisions, probably over, you know, many days, years, weeks, decades. Absolutely. I, I personally remember sometimes doing these things where I'd have like a little flashcard or some card, little sign that just one single sign, not like several signs. Because if you have many, many signs, they just get lost. But from oh. time to time, I'd pick up, put one little sign up on my desk that has something on it. And a lot of times it was something along the lines of like, trust the system. You know what I mean? Have faith in like, hey, if I do these things, it's going to happen. Yes. And 
it takes away the fear and anxiety of like, hey, am I making progress on these things? Mm. Yeah, there's something comforting about that. Well, you just touched on, you know, a point, trust, trust the system, whatever that system may be. Is it the universe? Is it um, God, source, power, higher power, whatever you want to call it, trust the system. Because you and I both know when we trust something, okay, I'll use the word, something magical does happen. Mm -hmm. And we just let, we, we let, you know, we let things be and then everything starts to fall into place and we have to take action. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. what, are, what are some of your routines that you've implemented that now are just like effortless? I think... Like right now, <laughs> this is a, kind of a tangent, but when shelter in place and all that happened and we started working from home, I just realized that I, I think maybe because I was used to getting so much stimulation and endorphins and all these good mm -hmm. feelings from interacting with people and seeing people in the morning and walking on campus, I realized that I just, I'm missing those, those good feelings. And I just, the only thing I can think of and I, mean, I guess I spoke to therapists and then I really looked around to see what I can do. But eventually I found that, frankly, just working out a lot <laughs> is what makes me feel good. I mean, meditation and, and, and that um, kind of journaling and things like that are also very helpful for me. But I find that just getting almost like jacked on drugs, if you will, <laughs> the drug of endorsement workout, absolutely, is what feels great for me. And Right now, just this morning, for instance, I did one hour of exercise and being on an exercise bike. I ran for three miles mm. uh, and I did some core workout and then I came to work. And that sounds elaborate. And my boss is like, this is not sustainable. This is not good for you. But I've slowly incorporated, incorporated these, right? Like it was a half hour bike only every morning at first. And then I've ramped it up from there. And I think part of the key, the key point I think here that has made this routine, for instance, work for me is that Going back to the point about making sure it's effortless, or in my case, I wanted to make sure this activity was fun. So maybe like two, three years ago, I found this life hack, if you will, that works for me. Being a video game fan and working at PlayStation also, I wanted to incorporate video games in my routine, but I felt guilty a lot of times, like this is not time maybe well spent. And I found this trick that I can hop on the exercise bike and play video games at the same time. I love it. And it's really funny because people used to like, I know people who like either listen to music and I'm like, God, I have music after a while, it gets exhausting. And then I sometimes would watch TV and I'm like, put like a tablet on my, in front of my exercise bike and watch that. But sometimes like the show had to be really, really engaging or just eventually I'd get bored and stop cycling. But when I play video games, especially really, really engaging ones, I just find it like it just, my mind is completely just off the exercise bike and it's just like ingrained. Uh, this is like, I mean, it's uh, just happening in the background. I'm not even paying attention to it. So every morning when I wake up, like a lot of people are like, oh gosh, do I go to the gym? It's like, for me, it's like, I wake up. I'm like, I want to play video games right now. Yes. That's so. amazing life hack. <laughs> that's an amazing life hack. I love that. Well, that's how, you know, you stay on the bike for an hour because you're doing something else that engages you. And, you know, you, again, he talks about habit stacking. So right there, you're habit stacking. You're enjoying your habit of playing video games mm -hmm. and you're getting on the bike. Yeah. So that's, a, that's a great life hack. I Absolutely. love that. Yeah. And frankly, by the time, like I'm done with that first workout, I feel really ready for a run because mm -hmm. I personally, I mean, it depends on different people's uh, mm -hmm. biology, but I sometimes have a hard time just like rolling rolling out of bed and going for a run. My body's not ready for it. 
But when I break a sweat with the exercise bike, then I'm ready for running afterwards. And that's. No, really I totally helpful. get it. I mean, I'm a big exerciser. I exercise every morning. I mean, that's how, yeah. you know, after my morning meditation, that's how I start my day and same like you, the endorphins. Yeah. And that's why I exercise is for the endorphins. Cause I really like you, um, I mean, I exercised before the pandemic, but I really need to be connected and mm -hmm. feel that connection. And that was, you know, again, during the pandemic, I exercised a lot more because I needed that. Yeah. I need that. I need that, I need that connection constantly. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, mm -hmm. but, you know, I, I could have a worse addiction, you know, than wanting to connect with people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's fascinating how I've read some audiobooks or listened to some audiobooks about addiction and it's really fascinating how we have certain addictions, I think, to me, if they're sustainable and, and your body is not adapting to them, if you're not harming yourself, in the case of at least working out or like having these mm -hmm. meditation routines, I think I think it's healthy. I think it's part of our um, life. And it's fascinating that I've heard, I've heard about this concept of stress and rest. So I read this book called, uh, I think it was called Peak Performance or Peak Performers. And it talks about this concept of how a lot of athletes, they what they really, really prioritize, you would think it's like, oh, maybe they have to work and they have to work out extremely or work out every day and blah, blah, blah. But one really important goal for them is to make sure they get enough rest, mm -hmm. you know, and and that's kind of a really key important factor in making sure that we uh, fully recover from our, our, our work that we're doing so we can attack it again the next day. Absolutely. And I, th I think especially when people are working from home, they're like, there's this, there's no boundary of when we're, we're, we begin and start, begin and end our work. So you're constantly kind of working and you're constantly kind of getting tired and not fully recovering and resting. And I think our culture doesn't really prioritize boasting about how much sleep we got or how much rest we got. <laughs> you know? yeah. And we talk about work hard, play hard. And I th honestly think about like ath the athlete's perspective is like work hard and rest hard. You know, you, you hit a huge point, you know, and something <laughs> yeah. that I've talked about so many times because I fell into that track of, trap of, you know, um, wearing the badge of honor for working so hard and never resting. And, yeah. you know, I, I paid the price for that. And you're right. It's when we rest, we can do more. We can mm -hmm. be more productive. We have more to give. But our society does not, you know, um, that does not honor that it's about 10 X and go, Absolutely. go, go. And yeah. whoever comes in the earliest and stays the latest. And that is self-sabotage across the board. Absolutely. Now, are there times where we have to hustle and take action? Right. Yes. Yeah. But it cannot, it's not sustainable on a, just a consistent, constant basis. Like we were taught to do. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really wild to me that this concept kind of links to this other idea that I've been learning about, which is, um, so this issue that we have with like getting time back to the addiction that I was telling you about. So when it comes to eating and our, our body, I think getting back to the same, same idea of you stress and then rest. Mm -hmm. so a lot of uh, dietitians and a lot of uh, experts in, in our health and nutrition have been realizing that it's actually kind of important for us to have these cycles of fasting and feasting. Mm -hmm. And it's a similar idea of like you really, really have a good meal and then you let your body rest and you don't eat for a while. And instead of constantly snacking and worrying about, oh, your metabolism might drop and all that kind of concern. It's actually, I think the book that I've been recently just read, it was called The Obesity Code. I think that was kind of hitting on these points specifically. But I think 
what happens with specifically with our body is that there's this concern about our insulin sensitivity. It's uh, so insulin gets produced when you have sugar and carbohydrates and all that. And what happens over time is that if you keep exposing yourself constantly to insulin, your ins your body adapts and becomes insulin not very like de you become desensitized to insulin. And essentially, what happens is that you need more and more sugar and more and more um, mm -hmm. kind of to keep yourself going. And so that's kind of what the addiction of food comes from, where you don't give it time to rest and your insulin to go back to normal and your sensitivity kind of to reset, right? When you're constantly exposing your body to sugars and all like and food, you're constantly keeping it at a high elevated state. And that's where the addiction forms. Mm -hmm. If you have these cycles of resting, then your body will write down, regulate and, and, and work itself out. And I think that's the same thing. Mm -hmm. I love, no, I love that because I have heard about that. And it's true. I felt it in my own body when, you know, I could tell when I ate, when I eat sugar or carbs, I find myself, you know, hungry again. And, and it's, it's, um, well, it's, it's a cycle. That's what sugar does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, they talk, talk about the fasting and I, and I agree with you. I think mm -hmm. it's good to allow, you know, our body, you know, just, you know, our digestive system time to rest and reset as well, because our body's working to process all that sugar and carbohydrates. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, not that it's in a fight or flight response, mm -hmm. but it's constantly going. So it doesn't, it doesn't give the parasympathetic, you know, part of the nervous system to um, kick in. Absolutely. And another way that I think about this whole concept, again, like uh, the stress and rest is that I feel like when you fully, fully stress or fully, fully eat or fully, fully, whatever, it's kind of like these cycles of being fully immersed in the task at hand. It's being really present. If it's eating food, you're really, really having a good meal and enjoying it. Mm. And if it's working, you're really, really enjoying your work and fully being engaged with it and having a great time. And then you're completely disengaged and or in a sense, completely focused on resting, completely focused on being like relaxed. And I think that's really, it comes, like it works perfectly with the idea of being fully present. Well, if you're going to do something, do it fully. Don't half-ass things. You know, <laughs> that's kind of how I think about it. You know, which brings me to, you know, you've, you, you, you know, definitely um, have been exploring these self-help concepts for such a long time mm -hmm. and you just hit on one of the points and correct me, you know, if I'm wrong, I think one of the points of self-help is presence, you know, being in the now and that that's so difficult because we were never taught to be present or in the now. It's like, we're constantly worrying about the future, ruminating on the past. We're never taught to be, okay, enjoy where you are right now. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So how do you help yourself stay present when, when our mind is naturally monkey mind? I think, I think when we have way too many things that we care about and prioritize in our life, then it's hard to carve out time to focus on one thing. And I think getting back to the idea of like what I was saying, like in, when, I, when you mentioned I care about the simple life, I think it's like that a little bit uh, because we really don't have enough energy and time and bandwidth to care about so many things in our lives. And I think early on at some point, I, I remember like after college where you're told like, hey, anything is an option. Any career is a possibility. Like the, the, there's limitless possibilities. It's great to, to start with that and explore. Exploration is great to know what you're interested in. But at some point in my life, I realized like, hey, I know I'm, I have an interest in music, but I really won't have time to also be a musician on the side in addition to what I'm doing. And I think having the courage to say, I don't have, in this lifetime, I won't be able to mm. attend to this. And that's okay. That's okay. 
you know, just be okay. allowing that to be like, hey, I just, I mean, you and I both have experience going to dance classes together, right? And I, I think I, I've accepted that like dancing for me will be a fun side workout routine that I do. It's not gonna be my career. I'm not gonna be a professional dancer and that's okay. I think allowing yourself to, again, simplify your life or have less things that you're juggling at the same time lets you then carve out dedicated time to work on that one thing and then really be present with that and then like abandon that and then work on the next thing and fully be present with that. Yes, that was beautiful. And it's simplifying, which brings me to something I never realized, I didn't know that you're a minimalist. Yeah. And right. <laughs> so practical minimalist. So can you tell us what that means? So practical minimalist, I think, I'm not sure if that's a technical term. I've, I haven't looked it up. But my understanding of practical minimalism is that I think people, when they hear about minimalism, they they imagine these Instagram photos that are just like someone with their background is so clean and pristine. There's like nothing there. And like, it's right. just one little coffee. And, like, and I think to myself that this is person, if they cook in that kitchen, like <laughs> you see, like there must be stuff around. Like it, someone who uses their kitchen can't have everything put back up and clean and perfect and tidy all the time, right. I imagine. Right. If you're cooking, you're, there's some things out, there's something available. And like, that's just, but for the most part, there's not a lot of clutter or it's like, or there's, you can navigate things very easily. I think that's my, at least that's my impression of what minimalism look, looks like because I live in a small 350 square feet apartment, a studio apartment, very small, but I have a lot of, I, in a way I have a lot of things. Like when you walk around, there's very little clutter. Like you can easily navigate. It always looks good. Uh, if I want, if a, if a guest just shows up out of nowhere, my place normally is like looking very, very presentable, but I do happen to have a lot of things that I care about. And it's not that I like like you, you'll see like, oh yeah, I might have like a coasters around. I might have like an exercise bike in the corner. I might have equipment. I might have like a massager, whatever. These things are all around. There's like candles. These are things that I have, but they're all accessible. They're, they're not in the way, you know what I mean? It's the things that I care about are still available to me. Mm -hmm. I, I've allowed myself some things that I care about and those are going to be in, in my space. But I think that's kind of the practical minimalism that, that I'm talking about where you're not just trying to have this facade of like a space with nothing in it because that's not usable you can't and every single time you want to do something it's going to be so much over because you have to find it grab it set it up whatever whatever and that's not practical and that's not realistic mm -hmm. but i think the minimalism part and i'm not sure if i even really was using that term when i was younger but i think this idea of just being a bit more mindful of the things you have i think mm -hmm. was what i started thinking about at a younger age i remember my mother would have so many different things around the house and also specifically i remember the first pet peeve that i had was like our fridge was packed there's so much stuff in it i'm like i don't know what's where and like there's these things that would get tucked in the corner behind the fridge that were just living for their themselves for days and that's a middle eastern refrigerator we have this and the refrigerator in the garage and the freezer in the garage absolutely my grandmother had like two freezers in the back and all that yeah yes that's definitely the life that they have and i thought to myself like this is not good. And like the first thing that would break my heart was like when she would buy a bunch of fruits and they would they would start rotting and going bad. Mm -hmm. And then they just leak juices and you have to bring them all out and clean. And I thought to myself, this is not health. This is not good. And I would ask her and implore her mom, please stop buying all these things or like wait till it's over. Wait till we're done with this thing. And I would even say like, let us miss 
not having like lemons or mm. oranges to think, oh, remember how or we had oranges in the fridge? That was nice. Mm. Let's crave it and miss it and go back to it again. So you're like, hey, I'm craving for oranges. I'm going to go reach out and go out of my way and pick them up next time. But she always kept everything stocked all the time. And I, and I sometimes would try to like get rid of it or like clean it up or something. And she was like, Maddie, when you get your own place, you're going to be in charge of your fridge then. As long as you're in my house, <laughs> it's off limits. I do things my way. I'm like, whoa, whoa. Okay, fine. So sure enough, I was like, I just can't wait to have my own place. And when I got, had my own place, the fridge was all, like, I, I, I tell my people, I tell people that. I can honestly recite what's in my fridge, like <laughs> top to bottom at every point in time. And I, I would hate to have some jar, something in the corner that just expires without me finding out about it. That, that breaks my heart. I and hear you. That's my fridge. Yeah. <laughs> now you're inspiring me to, you know, minimize in that way, but, but mm -hmm. you're right. Like we're used to having so much of everything and it does like, like so much does go to waste uh, and then just, you know, it's like we live in this um, society, like we're, we're blessed, like we have so much. Yeah. But where can we start to to minimize that mm -hmm. and just be more practical and more mindful? Yeah. I mean, it, I think it works again nicely with this notion of mindfulness and having intention with what mm -hmm. you're doing. So like, yeah. hey, I want to make this dish. So I'm going to set that intention, go get those things, buy it, bring in my fridge and make that dish. Right. It's not just buying a bunch of stuff to have it in the fridge in case one day I might need them. I no. agree. I'm yeah. working on that, Mandy. I, <laughs> I, I really am. Yeah. I'm really working on it because now that my kids are older, they like to go out and eat. And then here I am, like the old school, like I'm always having these, you know, and unfortunately, sometimes it goes to waste. So you really kind of making me think like it, it is time to make those changes. Yeah. Um, it's too much. Mm -hmm. it's too much. Yeah, I think if you if you run a kitchen, you know what I mean. If you if you're running a restaurant, I understand you want to have all these reserves and always be ready. Right, but I'm not running restaurants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not at home, at least. That's right. Um. So, the, so what what I heard you say, just the minimalism is just you know it doesn't we don't have to have a lot of things. Have what you want, mm -hmm. and just be mindful and intentional with the other thing because we're such a consumer society. Yes, that's right. Another thing we are about our society is like, you know, we're, we're, there's like a status quo, mm -hmm. you know, these are the things you have to do to be successful. And yeah. if you deviate from these things, you're not going to be successful, which I find that's really, um, it's, it, it hinders us as a society because there's so many different ways to be mm -hmm. successful. And I don't like putting these thoughts into, you know, our, 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 especially the younger generation's years. There's different ways to be successful. Mm -hmm. I know that as a young child, you definitely stepped out of the status quo. So can you tell us a little bit about that story? Absolutely. I think th the first thing that really helped me, frankly, was that I was born in the US. And when I was nine, we moved to Iran. And I think the first kind of shock to my system was that, hey, people are living their lives very differently here compared to how people live in, in the US. And I thought, well, okay, so there seems to be more than one way of living life. It's like whatever they were doing, people were living in the US and I, I thought whatever they were doing was working for them. And then in Iran, people were doing things very differently and it was clearly working for them too. So I think that first observation that, hey, there might be more than one way of doing things mm -hmm. was a learning moment. And I was a kid, so I didn't really think too much, but I remember 
a lot of the ways I was doing things were being challenged because like, no, that's not how we do things in Iran. And I remember thinking, wait, why are we doing this then? And I think that being put in a situation where you're challenged, your way of living is challenged and you're told to now behave differently. Whereas you can't see any reason why one was better than the other. Put me in a place where I think I started developing this habit of asking, wait, why are we doing this? Why did people do that? Do it that way in America? You know, like that question I think started happening. And I think the biggest moment for me was when I was in ninth grade, I, I was going to a really good school. And frankly, the reason I was going there was to get into a good college. But the school was offering all these extracurricular activities and things that they really prioritized. And I just wasn't really there for it. Like, I, I didn't care for those things. And I remember politely asking a principal, hey, can I, be, can I opt out of these things? Like, I'm not interested in that activity and doing that little thing. It's not going to help me get into a good college. It's just these things that they value. And so I think I remember pushing back on that. And they told me that, well, if you don't, like, they said the priority in that school is to make men. And this is in Iran where schools mostly are in co-ed. So it was all boys, obviously, in school. And so their priority was like making men that they deliver to society and grand people with great thinkers and all these different things. And they said, that's why they have all these extra things. And it's not to, not just to get into a good college. And I was like, I just don't want that. And they said, well, if you don't want to do that, then what you can do is just like, don't go to school and go to these like college entrance prep classes beyond that. And then yeah, you can just get into a good college. And like, cause they're purely prioritizing that thing that you care about and not these other many, many things that, they're, that the school is technically trying to instill in us. And honestly, I was very frank with myself. I just felt like I don't, I'm, I can shamelessly say that I just care about getting into a good college. I don't care about anything else that this school is offering. Mm -hmm. And I think having that courage is really important to be okay with saying, like, you know what, I just care about this. Like I'm in it for this. Like it's okay to do that sometimes. And so I think, so eventually it's a, it's a long story, but I ended up kind of following his advice. And I just stayed home and I said, you know what, I'm just going to teach myself. There's plenty of resources and books around. And this was back in 2000, maybe three or four. So well, actually before that, maybe, but people weren't used to just, we're learning things online back then. So it was a very bizarre and radical idea to like, what, be self-taught and learn by yourself. And this doesn't work. And both my parents being professors couldn't accept that one could learn on their own. But eventually I, I did. And I think it was just a matter of having clarity of like what you really want and what your, your priorities are. And the school was forcing me to care about these things that I didn't care about. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I just care about this thing, this one thing and let me do that. And then let me choose to spend the rest of my time and energy differently. Mm -hmm. And I picked up an instrument while I was working from home. You know what I mean? Or work, sorry, learning from home if you will, and homeschooling myself. And it's funny because homeschooling has its own kind of right. stigma, but now. I think being in ninth grade, like already kind of having been through some social situations, I think it was easy for me to just let go and practice on my own. But what is funny in that journey as a side note was that I started to really value conversations with people. Mm. Like when I was not getting that anymore, like I would wake up and my parents would both go to work and my, and my sister would go to school. And I mean, it was just me at home. I really was deprived for, for human connection. And when I would, I remember like going to see my cousin and I was like, this is beautiful. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're just talking and exchanging ideas. This is really nice. And this is what we're doing right now. We're, yes. We, we do it all. <laughs> and we do it all the time. That it's like someone else is yapping and you're just like checking your phone because you don't value being with each other. <laughs> I mean, COVID, 
maybe made us value each other's time and being in each other's presence more perhaps, but that's- Well, you, I mean, that's me. Like I get filled from these interactions and this is why I started this podcast during the pandemic because I was missing that. I mean, I was mm -hmm. used to um, connecting with, you know, six, seven different strangers a day in the work that I did. And then, you know, so yes, we need, we're, you know, human, um, we, we're creatures. We need interaction. We need each other. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but, you know, I love how even, you know, when you're in ninth grade, you know, just probably a, a young teenager that, you know, what you wanted and you, you pushed, you pushed against it and you were still successful. Right. I think, I think the trick is to first ask questions like, wait, why are we doing this? You know, because, and as a kid, when you're in the school system, I think you're kind of forced to go with the current and it's really hard to, to step out of it. Totally. But when I did step out, I think what was fascinating to me was that it just got me really thinking about like why I'm doing many things. And mm -hmm. I think when you're constantly going with the flow, like you're in school, you have this activity, that activity, the, the bell rings, boom, 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 this, that, that. You're always on doing one thing to the, uh, to the after the next. And it's, you don't have a moment to sit down and ask yourself, so what's, what's the point of this? Why am I doing that? Mm -hmm. Living in Iran and being raised in a religious family, I get a lot of times I never got a moment to really reflect on why I'm following the religion the way I am. Mm -hmm. And again, along the same time, around the same time that I was homeschooling myself, I started looking into religion more and reading why I'm following what I'm following. And I think that helped with like just stepping away for a moment and having a moment to think to your, by yourself opens you up to really questioning a lot of things. And maybe you'll question it and maybe you'll go back and, and realize why people are doing what they're doing. Because mm -hmm. I think we have a lot of faith, maybe especially coming from Middle Eastern background, we're conditioned to trust our elders mm -hmm. because there must have been wisdom in what they did. And it's right. hard to imagine that they were wrong, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's it really, <laughs> especially it's for the belief system. Mm -hmm. It's a belief mm -hmm. system that becomes tied to, you know, our, our identity through, you know, gener generations. Yeah, absolutely. And then it feels odd to question it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it's tied to religion and the elders yeah um and it's not an easy thing but you know also there's times that it's healthy for us to to question those things yeah because and questioning absolutely and honestly questioning is not disrespecting anything sometimes you question something and you go back and find out why you're doing it and you come back doing it with more energy and more love and more intention true because you're not just doing it fine i'll just do what i'm told you know? That's right. Well, that's what it's about. It's like we were, t well, coming from a Middle Eastern background as well. You just did what you're told because this is how it is. And that's, it. and you didn't, question story. It, you know, now yeah. as an adult, you know, I question those things. And there's some things that are, are amazing. Like you said, you come back with more vigor and there's other things you get to choose. How do you move forward with those things? Right. Um, a big thing for us was, and I'm going to get to my qu next question with you was my, um, God sister and I used to tease my mom and um, her mom, like the book of shame is this big, like everything <laughs> can't breathe. Yeah. And something that you talk about is embracing your shameful imperfections. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? That's it's, a, it's definitely a not safe work topic in some ways. And sometimes I'm joking about it, but I think the, the bigger thing is, so a few weeks ago, I gave this presentation about fast food and people thought that I'm going to talk about just uh, just like secret menus and like how to maximize this and that. And I, and I honestly, the, the, the heart of the story was really about understanding what your needs are mm. and being okay with that. So 
some people have addictions come in various forms. You know, people have these different needs that they're embarrassed of. And it's one thing to say, hey, like, I can work on myself and just get rid of this thing and not, it not be part of my, my life. If you can do that sustainably and if you're not harming yourself, fine, that's okay. But if you're constantly, if you, there's something that like just inherently is you, like there's some urge that you have. And if you can fulfill that, like without harming anyone, then just be okay with doing that. Like if it's, if you have some addiction to like, I don't know, like if you need ice cream every week or some, some simple, it can be as, as morbid or as simple <laughs> and, and, and innocuous. But I think when you just accept that, Hey, you know what? I need this thing and I'm going to schedule it. You know, if it's like, I need to, I don't know. Like if I like people watching, <laughs> if that's my okay. thing. What makes that shameful? Like what's the people watching the ice cream? I mean, it's guilty pleasures. We don't. We, we don't, need those things. Yeah. <laughs> I think, but, we, but we're not, we wouldn't proudly tell people yet. This is like, don't bother me. I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm people watching right now. Oh no, I'll tell them. Don't bother me. I'm about to go have my cocktail. Don't bother me. I'm about to, you know, yeah. you, you know, it's like, we, you're like, I love this because we need those things. Mm-hmm. And we need to have fun yeah. and we have needs and we have wants. And I agree with you. It's like, what may be shameful to one person may not be to the other. I mean, I talk about debauchery all the time, you yeah. know, and it just means fun and being yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you want to eat fucking ice cream, eat it. Yeah. I think going back to, again, the whole routine thing that I talked about when you, I think that the scary thing is like you may, hold back on this thing that you want to do and you're constantly preoccupied preoccupied with the thought and, and urge to do that thing and you're fighting it and that takes you away from being present takes you away from being effective and productive and <laughs> it reminds me of expression in iran so they say that um in iran so there's like the equivalent of let's say mit or harvard a school in iran and they said that um in iran like the so comparing Iran, like the best school in Iran, that compares to the best like, colleges in the U.S., um, I think they say that the the boys, the kids in, in, in Harvard and MIT, they have their fun, they they do things with girls, and then they also study all the time. Their minds are on the, the course, and their body is kind of given to, to the debauchery, if you will. Nice. But in Iran, kids are just constantly thinking about debauchery. <laughs> because they don't have the opportunity to. Yeah, and they never get to study really well. You know, so, well, that makes sense. And so I think it's just realizing that, hey, this is a need that I have and making sure it doesn't take over your, your routine and schedule too. Like if I just like don't have ice cream for a long time and keep, I'm constantly thinking about it. I can't focus on anything else. Yeah. And then I'm going to have a binge where I just eat ice cream for two days in, in a row. And I just, totally. that's all I eat. And that's going to ruin things and just throw things off schedule. But if you have these routines, if you will, where like, hey, you know what? I'm going to make sure like, every week or like every weekend at some point I have ice cream, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. And I'm just going to look at religiously say, this is going to happen. I'm not going to like let anything. Yeah, interfere I, with I hear you. And I'm reading between the lines too. And, and I totally agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. Because if we don't allow ourselves to be who we are and have those needs, whatever it could be for ice cream or whatever it is, then we're not being true to ourselves. That's going to create, you know, misalignment within within ourselves. And we're not going to be able to focus on the things that, you know, to prioritize because we're focusing on this and it's taking us over because we're resisting it. Yeah. Absolutely. When we release the resistance to it, then it doesn't have power over us. Mm-hmm. 
right. I, 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 I like this. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're amazing. You're positive and you're Absolutely. fun and outgoing. And I know we've all talked about, like, and I face this too. There are times that we go into, you know, that place, the dark night of the soul, whatever, because, mm. you know, that it's natural. How do you navigate through those times? Well, I think one, one thing that I learned a while back, uh, I think Mark Manson was, I would give credit to, I think in one of his books, he mentions this. The idea is that people talk about this like cycle or if you will, or this, uh, this chain where we have like, I think it's motivation leading to inspiration or like the inspiration leading to motivation and leading to action. Mm. And people talk about like you, a lot of people wait around thinking like, oh, I'm just waiting for that day to be inspired to pick, get up and go to the gym, you know, like just waiting for that inspiration to come to be, to motivate me to start taking action. And, Mark Manson, I don't know who originally came up with this idea, at least he mentions that you can just start with action. Mm. You can start with action. I know it's like a chain. You think like, oh, this starts from here. And then they like, again, because more action, a lot of times they say inspiration starts and then it leads to motivation and it creates action. And then action, more action makes you be more inspired and like it, you get faster and faster. But I think you can, if you're stuck and you have no momentum, I know it sounds really hard, but you can just start with action. I agree. And it's kind of funny because it's literally the Nike says, just do it. And I that's think right. to me, that's my understanding of it. It's like, and it sounds, and it kind of sounds like fake it to make it. And it well, has a big fake it to make it proponent. Cause I did that for a long, not that I, I was fake as a person. Right. But when there was those days that I was exhausted and down and I didn't get up, but I got up, I got dressed and I showed up when yeah. I got up, got dressed and showed up connected. I, I felt better. So yeah. there's something to fake it to make it. Yeah, and I think it's it's kind of painful doing it just like again when you don't have the urge or or energy to do something. But having done it once before and realizing no this works actually where like you do it I think gives you hope. Yes. So when things are off track completely and you don't know what to do <laughs> you just start with taking a step. Okay. And it'll slowly follow. And again the trust that we started off this, this meeting with trust that the system this like these these mechanisms you've learned and these routines you have they they will lead you to the answer yes. and to the life that you want that's right that's yeah. right that was beautiful trust <laughs> we came full circle yeah we touched on so many you know amazing points of wisdom today thank you so much absolutely i, I went over i didn't even realize it going <laughs> but if you could leave our audience with one last piece of wisdom what would that be i think Authenticity and people talk about it all the time, but I think I think this is a big part of it. Really, just ask yourself what you want and don't be embarrassed to be who you are. Beautiful. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. it. So yes, authenticity and absolutely don't be embarrassed to to be who you are. That's that's, mm -hmm. that's where the magic lies. So thank absolutely. you so much for joining me. I thank you, Grace. Yeah. <laughs> much to talk about absolutely appreciate uh, it i know you had a busy day thank you for joining us and thank you all for watching i appreciate you if you have any questions drop them in i'll check back i'm sure mehdi will also help answer absolutely. any of those questions and i wish you all an incredible and amazing day and i'm always grateful for you joining us all right hang on with me just for a minute mehdi you got it Hey, love, thank you so much for listening today. I am so grateful for you. 
I'd like to show you my appreciation by gifting you a free forgiveness self-hypnosis audio download. Part of living the fun and fabulous life is practicing forgiveness. Forgiveness can be such a long and challenging process. My intention is that this forgiveness audio will help you in practicing forgiveness, especially with yourself. Grab it by visiting daretoachieve.com backslash forgiveness. For more inspiring tips, make sure to connect with me on social media. Drop me a line on Facebook or Instagram at Grace Redmond Dare to Achieve. Until next time, keep moving forward towards living your fabulous life.